We're going to continue in our sermon series this morning from 1 Corinthians. And uh, I'm excited to share with you this morning. We've got a lot to cover. And um, if you want to grab a pew Bible or follow along on the screens, that's how we'll be in the text this morning. 1 Corinthians uh, is really a book, a, a, a letter that Paul wrote to a church that's really struggling. Uh, I was talking to a friend this past week just to set the tone here up front. Um, he is a pastor of a church in a pretty highfalutin neighborhood. And he told me a couple stories that made me think, ah, that sounds like First Corinthian, or just the Corinthian church. Um, which is, he told me that one day he had a work day at his church, an all-church work day. And he saw a new person he went up to invite, uh, to say hello to that person. And they said, oh yeah, I work for somebody at your church. And so somebody had sent uh, the person that works for them to do the work day at the church. So that's the beginning of adventures and missing the point, right? <laughs> or uh, he would do communion and one woman in his church had a straw and she would come down the aisle and she would use a straw in order to take communion. And one day he asked her why she was using a straw to take communion. And she said because she didn't want to mess up her teeth when she took communion. And again, I think that's another way of saying these are adventures in missing the point. Now, we don't want to pick on these people. We all have our things. But there's a way by which uh, when we look at the Corinthian church, we might think about how uh, we get to these points in the life of the church where we need to ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? And when I bring myself to church, am I looking at my own wisdom and what I would like to do, or am I looking towards God and asking him for a wisdom that is described by Paul as foolishness to the world? And so we're going to read again this morning, just picking up on this theme about wisdom and how God's wisdom applies to the life of the church and to us. We're going to be 1 Corinthians, a few verses this morning from chapter 3, starting at verse 18. It says this, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, will you reveal your heart uh, for this congregation this morning for all of us, Lord, so that we might know your will. And place it above all else. Help us to become wise. We know there are so many things, uh, so many decisions to be made. We carry a lot of responsibility, Lord, in this room. And we just want to know your will. We want to know what you desire of us so that we can make the decisions 
that would bring your kingdom to Redondo Beach in the South Bay and to our lives. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So um, I'm going to pick up and teach a little, and then I'm going to go into a little bit of a, a, a testimony this morning leading to some announcements. So that's where we're headed. Um, I'm going to use my own personal testimony and then speak into the life of the church as we reflect on this uh, chapter, just the little bit of the chapter from 1 Corinthians. I want to pick on two verses in the section we read. The first one is verse 18 where it says, you should become fools so that you become wise. Ever heard anybody say that before? That's something you hear very often, right? That that the direction for wisdom is somehow to become foolish. Uh, always a really uh, counterintuitive thing to think about. And yet I think when you think about learning uh, and really what it means to learn something new, we understand that we kind of have to look foolish at the beginning for any new, new skill set to come to fruition. And so uh, if we're not willing to look foolish, we may never learn the things that we're supposed to learn and even come to access the gifts that are within us that w we could access if we were just willing to do uh, things at the beginning to not look that great at them, right? And then the second verse here, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. Um, on a personal note here, it's, uh, it's really true that if you want to take both of these verses and put them together, um, that we should be really serious about how we look at human leaders because we see that there's a division within this church. And the division is really about who's the best leader, who's the most compelling teacher. And because there was different opinions about that, there was a clash within the church. People had different preferences, and they had elevated those preferences to the point where they were willing to fight with one another, to quarrel with one another about those preferences. And so we see here that Paul is teaching the church, don't brag about your human leaders. If you want to be wise and have God's wisdom, it's not important for you to brag all the time about your preferential leader. It's more important to understand that whoever is preaching, whoever is leading, their job too is to elevate God to make God glorified, that their talents, their skills are really given by God and they're really just to elevate uh, who God is as the name above all names, as the king of kings, that all of what good teachers do is to point to the glory of God. That's a relief. It should be a relief for anybody with real responsibility who's trying to apply that in their life and say, hey, I want to lead. I want to lead in the way that Jesus has called me to lead, but I also recognize that there's no one human leader that's going to accomplish God's purposes. That God must do his work if we're going to uh, experience all that this church would want to experience all the, the work that he could do in you. 
And so that changes our posture, right, from thinking that we got to come with all the wisdom and all the answers from our human uh, thoughts and feelings. And really, we also need to spend a lot of time with humility, seeking the Lord's face. That's definitely a relief to me because I can remember, believe it or not, it's been four years since I take uh, over as a lead pastor of the church here. And uh, it doesn't really feel like four years because we had COVID years. So uh, those are like the most counterintuitive, long, short, kind of like, I don't even know what happened, disorienting uh, years, right? And you guys know that as you've experienced those years yourself and the responsibilities in your world and how you had to care for them. And so taking on the leadership responsibility here at that level and what I had in my four-year plan uh, really wasn't have anything to do with uh, what actually happened over those four years. And in the midst of that, there were a lot of moments where I came to the leadership position not knowing what I could do, not knowing what in my strength and my skill set would bring what the church to the church what the church needed. And so I was really faced with this. This is what happens when we hit crisis, right? Is that you, you get faced with uh, the reality that you are one person and one leader and there is no one leader that could solve a crisis like that. And in those moments on the good days, right, that leads you into some serious prayer. Trying to seek God and say, God, I don't have the answer, but maybe you do. Please let me know. What are we supposed to do as a church? I want to show you a couple pictures. Uh, the first uh, is one that I got right before COVID. I don't know if you have that picture of the fish. It's kind of hard to see. Some of you I've shared this picture with, but one day uh, in my spiritual direction, I was invited into a silent prayer practice. And so one of the things I do is in my office, I'll sit in a corner of the office adjacent to mine with the door open. I can see my whiteboard, but I can really only see the corner of my whiteboard. One day, my son wandered into my office and he started drawing all these scribbles. And as he drew all these scribbles, it uh, didn't mean much to me, but then I sat down in prayer and silence for a while and then I looked up and I just saw these scribbles. And I really felt like God was reminding me of the story from John chapter 21, where Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, goes and finds Peter. And Peter is drawing up his nets and he's coming up empty time and time and time again. And then Jesus says to him, would you cast your net on the other side of the boat? And I felt like that was an invitation from Jesus to think in a new way. To say, if you're willing to do my will, if you're willing to go my way, that there are fish to catch. And we know in the story that there's a miraculous catch of fish that's drawn into the boat. But it's not about the fish. It's about the fact that somehow 
as Peter learned again to surrender to Jesus' teaching, that he was able to see his rabbi, his Lord, for who he truly was. And that put him again into his true purpose and meaning in life. And so we know that Peter wasn't chosen because he was the best on paper, right? He was a simple fisherman who really shot from the hip, said a lot of things that people didn't like to hear. He was a total coward at the most critical moment, and yet he is the one that Jesus chooses. And by the time that we get to the book of Acts, in chapter 4, we see that people are lining up just to be in the shadow of Peter because it says that people are being healed because of his power. Jesus chose Peter because if you knew Peter, you knew he couldn't boast in his own strength. And so he was teaching the church something about who he was, who he can use, that he can use a fool. And it's really about surrender. It's really about this willingness to say, you know what, I've been casting my nets over and over and over. And I'm coming up empty. God, what else is there for me to do? What would be in your plan? I want to show you another picture where I feel like we learned some things as a church in that season. So I carried that image in my heart uh, for years. Um, this is a picture of when we were worshiping outside, and then, of course, winter came. ...in unexpected ways, and working in ways we cannot see in order to bring about plans that we didn't know. And if we're open enough, we get the privilege of discovering what those are. Maybe in this season you just need to go, okay, yeah, I forgot that maybe God has a little more wisdom than I do. Just maybe, just possibly. He could see some things that you don't see. He might know some things that you don't know. He might actually be doing things for you and has done things for you that you forgot he did for you. And he might know something right now that you're mad about, that you're disappointed in, that you feel like was a failure, that somehow because of what's happening over here, you're going to end up over there and you're going to be in a place you need to be the place that God wants you to be. But in the, in the moment, you're complaining and you're saying, God, how could this be? Why did you do this to me? When I saw David preaching in the rain, I had such mixed emotions. Wow, this is so new. What a courageous congregation. And yet, God, what's, what's the future? I have no idea. My plans are gone, out the window, sayonara. 
And it was, it was unique to hold that space. You remember holding that space where you're like, God, I don't know. And yet it was in that time where uh, I was playing at a park with some of my kids and uh, I was talking to a parent and they told me that there was a new church that was going to be starting in the neighborhood. And as we talked for a while, um, I started to feel this nudge, this Holy Spirit nudge, like maybe I should reach out to that pastor. And so on Facebook, I'm embarrassed to say, I sent him a message. And he wrote me back. And he said, I'm too busy to get coffee, but uh, I'd love to hang out. Um, and a few weeks later, I got a message. It was from Sean Hurley, the pastor of Coastline. And he said, um, hey, got any church space available for rent? And as we started to uh, begin that relationship of having Coastline come and be a part of our church, uh, renting the facility, we developed a friendship. And out of that friendship, uh, there came times where it became important for us uh, to consider what their needs were, like on Super Bowl Sunday. So they were meeting at night, and they didn't want to compete with the Super Bowl. We understand that. And so we said, hey, we should do worship together. And while we did worship together, there was this sense like, oh, well, these, these, this church, this new church uh, has so much commonality with our church. What does that mean? And so after that service, I went and had a conversation with Sean, and we began to feel and ask the same questions. What is God up to here? And we just agreed to pray over that. We didn't know what it meant. But we agreed to mutually help each other to the best of our ability. And out of that season, then we decided that during Holy Week that we would partner up and share Holy Week and Easter and the things that we had going on there. And all of those things went extremely well and helped both churches. And then the same thing happened as we did our vacation Bible camp together. And we saw that, that one plus one didn't equal two, but it began to equal three for the churches. And we saw impact there. And we began to ask another question, which is how do we meet each other's needs and care for one another? And when Edgar transitioned, then there became another need for St. Andrews. And so uh, this week, uh, after the service here on the patio, both Hunter, who is the Coastline Youth Pastor, and Rochelle, who's the Children's Director, have stepped in to help St. Andrews. Um, and they, they're going to uh, be our leaders in those departments for this season. And we just did our first youth group on Wednesday, and there were 80 kids that were there. And so we began to see that there's real impact. And so we see that there's been this real practical thing, and it raises this question in us, like, God, what could you do? What could you do in the city of Redondo Beach? What could you do in the South Bay if we get together? 
What can you do to bring two churches together for common mission? Now, hear me clearly. We have made no decisions yet. I have had a year to process this. And this is all brand new for some of you. And so what I'm asking you to do is to just join in discerning. We want to invite you in. We recognize that each and every one of you is so important to this process of discernment. And I know some of you need the details. Maybe all of you. And so in the back, there's a one sheet answers all the questions that we can at this point knowing that there's going to be a lot more coming as we discern together, and I'm available for conversations because I want you to have the time that you need to process. And we may come to the end of this and say, this isn't right for either church. Or we may come to this and say, yes, God is in this and we are for this. But we didn't want to make decisions like we've been making without telling you why. Without you understanding the reasons why our leadership is making the decisions that we're making. And so that's the big news. And I want you to know that this is straight out of the text this morning. That I didn't expect it, Sean didn't expect it, but what God does is he's working when we can't see it, when we don't know, when we feel like we're struggling. There may be answers to prayers that look different or outside the box, but if we're open-handed, I believe that we're able to receive so much more of what God would want. One last thing in that is that uh, we're gonna continue, uh, and this will be new, in this one united worship service in this way meaning that we're going to be in a blended service. And that is not actually connected to the merger. Hear me again, that conversation was not connected to the merger conversation. It was a conversation that we had before. And it just so happens that these things are happening at the same time, and we're paying attention to what God wants to do open-handedly in the season but I will say that the spirit between these two big things are the same, which is a prayer out of John chapter 17, where Jesus prays for all believers that we would be one, as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one and united, that we would be one. And then Jesus says that if we come together in unity, that the glory of God will be revealed. I want to be a part of any church where we get to see the glory of God revealed. And I know what that takes is that, that we have to sacrifice some of our preferences so that we can be together in community and say not for us, but for those who have yet to know Jesus, who so desperately need to know him. 
And so let me just leave you with the last line from Corinthians again, and we'll go to prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 22. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Church, you all is yours. Everything you need is yours. So would you go on this journey with us together? Would you pray? Lord Jesus, be with us now. Help us, Lord, to the best of our ability to walk open-handedly and with humility, seeking your wisdom above all else. Pray for this congregation that you would protect us, that you would give us the right decisions and fill us with your wisdom, Lord. Give us times of deep, meaningful prayer so that we can know your will and discern it collectively as a church body together. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen.